0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today we have with us Scott Hoffman Black. Hi Scott. Hello, how are you all doing? Doing great. So great to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Scott Black is the Executive Director of the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. He is an internationally renowned conservationist who has been at the forefront of the pollinator conservation movement for two decades. Uh, At Xerces Society, which under his leadership has become the premier invertebrate conservation organization in North America, Scott's work has led to protection and restoration of habitat on hundreds of thousands of acres of rangelands, forests, and farmland, as well as protection for many endangered species. He is an author of the best-selling book, Attracting Native Pollinators and Gardening for Butterflies, and has written more than 200 other publications. His work has been honored with several awards, including the 2011 Colorado State University College of Agricultural Sciences Honor Alumnus Award, and the U.S. Forest Service Wings Across the Americas 2012 butterfly conservation award despite working at the national scale Scott remains involved at the grassroots level and understands how to adapt conservation practices to local communities and local places including his own garden which he tends with his wife and children Scott thank you so much for being with us today I'm excited to talk so, let's kick things off. What's the issue? what 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 are we dealing with here? Why does this even matter to us?
1: Well, it matters to um, uh, to us because insects and other invertebrates are really the foundation of life on the planet. You know, think of it this way. If you want to see salmon in our streams, you can think a fly that fed those salmon. When they, were, when they were little before they made it into the ocean. If you wanna eat good, healthy, tasty fruits and vegetables, you can thank pollinator that has pollinated those crops that allowed us to have the, the food that we eat. If you like songbirds in your yard, you can really thank an insect. About 88% of songbirds need an insect to feed either themselves or their young. I uh, need lots of insects actually. So really the, the insects and the plants on the planet I see as really the fabric of the planet. And unfortunately we're tearing
0: that fabric to pieces. Yeah, that, and, and what, is, what is causing that? How are we tearing that fabric to pieces?
1: Well, unfortunately, humans have an extremely large footprint, ecologically speaking. Um, uh, unlike other animals who who tend to f- have a footprint that is really proportional to their size, humans tend to build their houses. We tend to uh, crop in a way. Uh, we tend to really build all of our shopping centers. Um, uh, it, it, at the expense of all the other animals' habitat. We put in concrete, we put in bluegrass, we put in monocultural crops, we ruin the soil, we use pesticides. So the real issue, unfortunately, is us using more than our fair share. Um, And then to break it down, really for insects and, and almost all other animals, the issues really come down to habitat loss, We tend to build or grow uh, our crops in areas that used to be habitat for wildlife. Um, Poisons. We tend to spray lots and lots and lots of insecticides, herbicides and other pesticides that are harmful to these animals. Um, And then diseases really are an emerging issue that are spreading around the planet that are Uh, causing uh, negative impacts to many of our wildlife species, from bats
0: to bumblebees.
1: Um, Many other issues as well, but uh, they all generally fall into those three categories.
0: Yeah, okay, that's really helpful. So habitat loss, poisons, including pesticides, and diseases. Now these sound to me, especially when you're describing uh, urban and suburban development patterns, these sound like... Uh, decisions that are being made and phenomena that are occurring by us humans but not necessarily things each one of us can necessarily do anything about in our day-to-day lives are are there are there solutions are there opportunities that we might make changes in our own lives that would help with the situation
1: yeah you know the really neat thing about insect conservation whether you're thinking about pollinators or whether you love butterflies or whether you're just interested in biodiversity, is that everybody can take action. this is one of the really uh, neat things why I love the work that I do. I have worked on all sorts of animals, uh, reintroduction of wolves, uh, protection of salmon, uh, even work on grizzly bears, really, really important. These large charismatic animals, we should all be working towards their conservation but not everybody can, you know, go out and, and protect habitat for a grizzly bear. But everybody can go out and protect habitat for a bee or a butterfly. And it's really, the neat thing is it's really simple. It's providing a buffet of flowers out in your, your landscape. So, you know, think about all of these little animals that are so important for us and for ecosystems. And just think about, they need to eat throughout the entire season. So having flowering plants that flower from spring uh, and then cascades of flower all summer and into fall is really important. That way you're feeding the most uh, bees and butterflies as possible. Number two, as I mentioned, pesticides are a big issue. And um, we can all do better. We, you know, in most cases, we don't need to use any pesticides, um, you know, especially insecticides or herbicides in our urban environment. And one thing I'd like to point out is oftentimes urban folks point to farmers as, you know, they're using all these, all these uh, pesticides, but actually the U.S. Geological Service in their studies routinely shows that we are using more insecticides in urban and suburban environments uh, than we are in agriculture which is, which is astounding because it's really the quest for the perfect lawn and the perfect rose. So let your yard get a little wild. Put in flowers, you know, stop using um, uh, pesticides, and then uh, what we like to say is, is equally important, go tell your neighbors why you're doing it um, because they might be quizzical why all of a sudden your yard has changed and it's so beautiful with all these flowers. Let them know that you're protecting wildlife, including the bees and butterflies that are so important for, for us and our livelihoods.
0: Well, you know, at the Why on Earth community, one of our favorite things to think about and talk about and act on is that underlying why. That's uh, one of the threads of meaning through all the work that we're doing. And, you know, one of the th- things I'm hearing through all of this is that there are actions we can be taken taking at the individual level, the household level, and when it comes to the neighborhood and community level, boy, there's a great excuse in here to connect even more with our neighbors, with our cohabitants in our communities. And my gosh, what a fabulous byproduct to have out of these uh, actions we can take. It,
1: it's a fabulous byproduct, byproduct, and that's why I like the work that you do so much. Is it's making these connections. And what I really feel strongly about is that if we can bring this nature also back into our communities we will have more people experiencing nature yeah. i mean it's harder as our cities grow for many people to go out you know to maybe our national forests or national parks and and see wildlife but it's pretty easy to go to the local park and if the local park has wildlife such as bees and butterflies and birds, people are going to get a nature experience. I mean, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm the youngest of 10 kids, and we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't really go on big vacations, but I had what we called was, was the, the forest uh, about two blocks from my house, and the forest was really just a mixture of meadow and trees on a two block area uh, that had not been developed and it had an ephemeral stream, meaning a stream part of the year that we go through it. I was there every day collecting, you know, snakes, uh, frogs, uh, catching fireflies at night and butterflies during the day. I was really experiencing nature. And I wonder had I not had that experience, whether I would be thinking the way I do today, So to me, the neat thing about pollinator conservation or insect conservation at large is we can both help the small animals that are helping us, but also help our communities to reconnect with nature. And and again, um, I sound exuberant when I talk about this because to me in a time when it seems like we have so many negatives this is a really positive way that folks in their own lives uh, can take action that really resonate out to um, animals that, that we need to uh, think about, but also the other people in, in our neighborhoods, or maybe people in other neighborhoods that can come in to our neighborhoods and, and see wildlife close to home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm struck that more and more we are hearing from the medical community from folks working in psychology and uh, counseling and so forth identifying that more and more of us seem to be suffering from something that's called nature deficit disorder and the the great writer uh, Thomas Berry indicated that perhaps as we disconnect from nature Uh, not only are we beginning to suffer in terms of our relationships, connection with this living planet, not only are we beginning to suffer in terms of our imaginations, but we also may be suffering literally in terms of our intelligence as a species. And it seems to me that there is a certain type of patterning and intelligence and relationship. We learn only from nature. We probably won't learn as well from books or spreadsheets or media and what have you. And so I, I just, there, there's such an important piece here that is about our human beingness and nourishment that I hear running through the, the message that you're describing.
1: Oh, it, it is, it is so true. Um, you know, And and beyond that to the real practical is the more people can experience nature, the more they will take, kid, I mean, there's, there's good studies on this. The more kids understand the environment and understand nature, the more likely they're going to want to have their tax dollars and their policies go to protect nature when they grow up. So to me, um, getting people out, of course, all ages, but getting kids out is particularly important um, because unfortunately, the downside is we've we've let that pendulum swing a long way into the negative. We're seeing declines in in most of our wildlife species across the planet, and um, we really do need to focus on uh, all areas. So again, I don't want to just talk about urban or suburban areas to the exclusion of of large natural areas, which we certainly need to protect. And farmland, we have lots of farmers who really get the connection now between pollinators and their crops and are really changing their practices and incorporating habitat into that. But by bringing, whether it's on a farm and bringing nature back, whether it's in a neighborhood or in uh, the canyons up by Boulder, uh, near where you live, we really need to be focusing on on these habitats. And and the neat thing is doing it close to home. Again, we as you've mentioned, we have all of these multiple benefits, not just to the wildlife, but to us uh, and our
0: human spirit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I so love this call to. Connect with place to do these things in our homes, our neighborhoods, the parks and wildlands in our vicinities. And when I'm hearing the mention of the agriculture, one of the things that strikes me is each one of us is eating and drinking various beverages, uh, you know, day by day throughout the week. And so, although not all of us are actually farmers, we're all connected to farms and the more we can choose for our own health and for the well-being of our planet to purchase a few more products being grown organically, being grown in a regenerative economic uh, and ecological framework, and perhaps biodynamic and some of these other emerging systems that are available, we can help what's occurring on those farms as well and build markets for these farming families that are making this transition right now that's so important. Oh, I,
1: I so believe that we can um, uh, do good deeds through our buying habits. Um, you know, buying organic, buying biodynamic. Uh, the Xerce Society right now is rolling out uh, a new certification program called Be Better Certified. That is the first certification program specifically designed to incorporate uh, habitat for bees and other pollinators uh, into farms and to change how pesticides are used. And uh, Be Better Certified really coolly goes really well with biodynamic and goes really well with organic. So, our pocketbooks can be a really important resource um, because um, you know, by rewarding those farmers who are taking that more difficult step. Um, we will get more and more farmers to take that difficult step to become more sustainable, to become biodynamic, to become organic, to become Be Better Certified. And um, we, can, we can really have an uh, impact on, on a large area. And one thing I do like to point out is you know, over 40% of all land on earth is in agriculture. So, if we're going to solve these problems, we need to work in cities and towns, we need to work in rural areas, and we need to work in, in agriculture and, of course, protect the, the wild areas that we have. And as you mentioned, um, think about what you buy. It's better for the planet and it's better for your kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that the Why on Earth community that we we really stress and embody and and practice is that when we're sharing information, we share as much or even more inspiration around steps we can take, uh, action that we can incorporate in our day-to-day lives. And I think that's so important. That said, I I think there's an opportunity here to share with our audience just how severe and, and sad, frankly, the global situation is, you know, some folks may hear things like insect apocalypse, insect apocalypse. And I know some of our listeners are familiar that we are in the midst of what looks like one of the great, uh, six greatest species extinction events on the planet. And that our geologic records show us that those previous five were probably caused by huge volcanic events or Meteor strikes from space, massive events like this, and and this thing we're experiencing right now, we see is actually significantly caused by our human activity. And I just, Scott, I I, I don't want to linger on a doom and gloom uh, feeling or note here, but I I want to make sure we're we're really calling a spade a spade with respect to our current situation. And and would you speak to that?
1: Yes, and that's that's really important in in all of the conversations I have around this issue. You know, in a way, first I I really depress people um, with all of the statistics, all of the bad information. And then I try to talk about the solutions because to me, and uh, working at the Xerces Society, a science-based conservation organization, you really do need to understand the problem before you can come up with, with real solutions. But you are right, we're in the sixth uh, great extinction uh, event on on the planet, and we are the cause. And when it comes to insects uh, and other invertebrates, I talked about how important they are, but the data is is really startling. Um, And it isn't something that's happened overnight, although we're now finally talking about this. You know, about 15 years ago, I, um, and some others started talking about what we call the windshield phenomenon. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I talked about growing up in Nebraska. I wasn't thinking about climate change. Um, I was mostly thinking about cool cars and, and girls. And (laughs) I had a 1971 Mach 1 Mustang and I would drive it around Nebraska, um, probably too fast and, uh, don't need to uh, bless my, my uh, uh, departed mom. Luckily, she didn't know how fast. But (laughs) one of the things I was always doing is cleaning my car. It was important to me. It was a status symbol at the time when I was 18. And uh, I know a little silly, but I was cleaning it a lot. And I was cleaning it a lot because it was covered in bugs. I go back to these areas or I I have been back in about 15 years ago, um, I started emailing around going, I am not, when I go back to Nebraska, I'm not cleaning my car. Where are all the insects going? We did not have all the data then, but many of us were already seeing something was awry. Um, unfortunately, since that time, we've started to get the data, and there is really compelling data, data out of Germany that shows that flying insect biomass, so think about this as the weight of these little insects. Um, And when you think about the weight of insects, think again about birds, because the more insects that are out there, uh, the more they have to eat. Um, We've seen a 75% decline in, in insect biomass in the last 27 years. In Puerto Rico natural areas, they've seen even worse declines and have linked insect declines to declines in birds and to lizards. We're seeing declines in all sorts of really important species, from butterflies um, in England, we're seeing, which has a, a long history of monitoring butterflies, 100 years and more of, of studying them. We're seeing really catastrophic declines. Um, new emerging studies in the United States show, show similar trends. You know, with bumblebees, we're seeing Uh, We've seen a 28% uh, of bumblebees are at risk of extinction, you know, and then you go to the monarch butterfly, uh, which uh, the monarch butterfly has declined across the country by likely 80%. But in the West, it's declined by over 99%. Mm. So these animals all had a place in the planet they all had a place in the planet as part of an ecosystem and ecosystem function and as they go we lose these pieces of the puzzle which are our ecosystem which then we start to see cracks Um, so that is really where we're at we're in a really negative place at the moment Um, but then coming back to the positive as i mentioned i think the neat thing is That we can do something about it. Humans have caused these problems, and humans can help fix them. Um, You know, we've done things like gone to the moon. We've we've done things like um, after World World War II rebuilt countries and helped them get back on a good footing uh, through the Marshall Plan. You know, we really need a, a plan for biodiversity across the planet, and we all need to be engaged in it.
0: Absolutely, Scott. Thank you for sharing that with us. And one of the things we're talking about increasingly through the Why on Earth community is massively mobilizing the stewardship and regeneration behaviors and functions that each of us can embody more and more. And, you know, what you guys have in terms of resources at your website, xerces.org, that's X E R C E S.org. Is tremendous and when I was looking at the website recently I was struck by uh, how much information was on just that one section called the Pollinator Conservation Resource Center uh, which has all kinds of amazing information and tools that uh, that we can utilize right now today and would, would you maybe just share a little with us about what what our audience might find when they visit the site
1: Yeah. Um, You know, the Xerces Society, really, our whole goal is to take science and make it applicable. So take science into practice. And that's really what we try to do through our our website. And just to take one step back, because people might be wondering on this podcast, the Xerces Society, that is a funny name. Um, The Xerces Society is named after the first butterfly known to go extinct due to humans in in North America and that was the Xerces blue butterfly. As San Francisco expanded uh, in the 1940s due to the war effort actually they built on the last of this butterfly's habitat and our goal is to provide education, outreach, um, technical assistance and resources um, so that that doesn't happen again. But our website is really rich with information that we have tried to make applicable, whether you're a gardener and are looking for a plant list, you love monarchs and you want a plant list that works for Colorado or, um, or Maine or uh, you know California, these would all be different plant lists, and we've tried to really provide those resources, as well as resources for the more technical land manager uh, or roadside manager on how they might manage for biodiversity, including uh, increasing the number of pollinators uh, alongside roads. So our real goal is to provide that applicable information that you can pick up uh, on our website, anybody can download it. Um, uh, Almost all of our our information is, is free to download. We have a few books there that they're just too long to download, but all, everything else is, is, is free. Um, please go check it out. And then we also have staff on hand that if you run into problems or you have a question, please do reach out. Um, we will get back to you and try to give you any advice that we can on the project that you're hoping to complete. Because to us, again, our goal is to at the end of the day, help people to take action for the little things that run the world.
0: It's so fabulous. Uh, an incredible resource. I um, just want to pause and remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series. And today we are speaking with the Executive Director of the Xerxes Society, Scott Hoffman Black. And I want to mention to our audience that uh, you can find incredible resources at Xerces.org. Again, that's X-E-R-C-E-S.org. And if you would like, you can find some other great resources, ebooks, audiobooks, at the whyonearth.org website. And use the code whyonearth to get some discounts on those uh, downloadable products. Uh, also want to mention that our podcast is distributed through Google Play, the iTunes App Store, Stitcher. Please leave a review there on the platform of your choice. That really helps us build our connections to others all around the world and helps spread this important information. And finally, just want to share a little teaser. We have our next children's book coming out in a few weeks, which is called Celebrating Honeybees which is a story talking about this relationship with pollinators, an adventure with little brother and sister. And uh, at the back of this children's book are a variety of resources that will also be helpful. And hopefully we'll have some uh, info in there about Xerxes as well, Scott. So uh, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned all of that to our audience. And, um, you know, Scott, I really appreciate this information and, all of these steps we can be taking in these last few minutes of our discussion, I, I'd love to just kind of ask you personally, you mentioned your wife and kids, how, how did you get into this work and what does it mean for you today as obviously a professional, but also a, a dad to be doing this kind of work?
1: Yes, I got into this work in an interesting way. Uh, you know, I mentioned um, how I grew up. You know, we didn't have a lot of resources, but we, we were fine. I always had enough to eat. Um, I had loving parents, and I had parents that actually cared for the outdoors. Um, they they would take us out when they could to the park or the local natural area, and even farther when we got a chance. I fell in love with nature, as I mentioned but after I got out of high school, you know, I really went to work. I, I worked uh, in a variety of jobs from construction, worked on oil rig- rigs, uh, uh, did, uh, worked in, a, in the timber industry for a while. But the whole time I was feeling kind of empty and kind of seeing that um, the work that I was doing was maybe not the best for the planet. Um, and I went back to school with really the sole purpose of understanding the science of conservation, not so I could be some deep thinker, um, uh, which we need, by the way, uh, you know, scientists that uh, would be the professor at a university. My whole goal was really to, to take that science, that conservation science, and make it applicable, whether it was to protect national forests, to protect you know, old growth and wild rivers or to protect prairies um, or pollinators and salmon and wolves and, and these animals. And, uh, you know, as I've aged and 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 gotten married and, and had kids, this has become even more important. Um, uh, you know, our kids are going to inherit what we leave them. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to spend the rest of my days making this world as good of a place as possible for them. But it's also really neat to see them and see how my work has has affected them and how they now think about the natural world and how they think about animals. And when we go out, you know, my son knows more about bees than probably most people uh, out there on the planet and, it, and it's really fun to see. And then just to end, you know, the neat thing again about nature is that you can find nature wherever you you are. Um, and one of the things I really suggest to folks who are really interested in the small animals uh, and interested in pollinator conservation in their yard is uh, as you plant these plants, um, and as you change your yard to make it more wildlife friendly, um, make sure you spend some time there. Take a, take a chair out on a beautiful sunny day and take your favorite drink, whether that's a lemonade, you know, or a, I don't know, a, a, I'm not a huge drinker, but a, a gin and tonic or something. And sit amongst your flowers and start to look at the little animals that are visiting them. And you I, I, I've been saying this for a long time, and so many people come back to me and are astounded by the, the animals that they see in and around them in their, whole, in their yard if they just sit and take the time to look. Um, so this is kind of my meditation. I just go out in, in, uh, in my chair with my lemonade, and I just see what's out um, uh, kind of commune with nature in my own yard. And, and I think it's something that can bring up our spirits and, and keep us moving forward when our day-to-days are often uh, can become drudgery and the news all seems bad. Um, don't just work in nature. Don't just try to fix nature. Make sure you go out and spend the time there so that you're being rewarded by um, by what you're doing
0: such a fabulous message. And, you know, in uh, writing the book, Why on Earth, uh, there's actually a chapter there called Delight that speaks to this very thing, the importance of our human experience of just being with, connecting with these natural places and really delighting in that. And it's so nourishing for us. Of course, the science is showing more and more that taking the time for this kind of pausing, slowing down, is actually improving our cognitive performance it is actually reducing stress hormones it is actually improving serotonin production which makes us feel good it's antidepressant we have all the science showing us this stuff and I find with my you know grandparents and others this was an experience they knew to be true without having the science to verify it but uh, boy that piece and especially in our busy busy lives seems to be such an important kernel of wisdom scott
1: it works for me i know that i come in uh feeling better than when i went out so uh um hopefully it does for others as well
0: well it it has been such a delight to talk with you today scott and thank you for all the work you're doing and for all of the resources you're making available to us all around the planet and i just want to invite you before we sign off uh from our discussion today, is there, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we uh, say goodbye for now?
1: Well, I would just say, if you can uh, do something, do something. Um, whether it is changing the way um, you, or thinking about how you buy food, oh, or other things and, and changing that. Whether it is putting a single plant, or two or three or four plants in your yard, uh, whether it is thinking about getting rid of any pesticides you might have in your garage just start taking those steps and it's the neat thing about those steps is um, uh, you tend to then take more and more and more and more because there there's such a positive from that start it's kind of like once you leave your door and start walking um, you never know where you're going to end up so you know, after this, go out and take a step. Um, think about what step you could take. And, and that step hopefully will lead to others. And um, hopefully will lead to others taking steps. And together we can
0: truly make this world a better place. Absolutely. What a beautiful message to leave on. And uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
1: And have a great day. I really, really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Likewise. Take care.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.